It's been an amazing journey doing Canada's Pinball Podcast. Five years, 600 episodes. But I will say the last year, the last 100 episodes have been the most favorite I've ever done. Because a year ago, people tried to get this show canceled. And I took three months off and I came back and I said, I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to do Canada's Pinball Podcast, but I'm not going to personally attack people. I don't need to do that. I'm just going to cover this industry and this hobby the way I've always covered it. I'm going to give you my opinions about all of these companies with no agenda. I have no sponsors, nobody in my back pocket. If a company comes out with a great game, I'll tell you it's great. If I feel there's no magic under the glass, I'm going to tell you that. If a company wants to ban me on their Facebook page because I'm harping about their crappy playfields, I don't care. Because you tune in to Canada's Pinball Podcast every week because you want to hear someone speak about this industry in a way nobody else does. And I want to give a few thank yous before I air episode 600 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. First and foremost, I want to thank each and every one of you. You are the reason why I do this show. Every week when I put up an episode, it is so exciting to put a show up and in just a few minutes, there's 50 people, then 150, then 1,000, then 2,000 people listen at least every single episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And then once a year, everyone gets a chance to vote for who their favorite show is. And it's because of all of you that four years in a row, you've put Canada's Pinball Podcast on the top of the pinball podcast list as the favorite pinball podcast. And I can't thank you enough for all of your support and all of your contributions to this show. It's meant so much to me. I want to thank the late Bubba for being by my side all those years I did this show. He was my best friend and this has been a really hard year losing Bubba. But I feel like Bubba stood around long enough to get Killian into this world. And so he just wanted to make sure that his little brother had the right environment and then he left us. And I want to say thank you, Bubba, for always being there and making all of your weird sounds as I was trying to do this show all those years. I want to thank my Sicilian mother who always told me to speak my mind, to not let people intimidate me from saying how I truly feel. If you've ever met the Sicilians out in the world, they are a proud people and they do not hold back anything and they are very emotional. So I want to thank my mom for giving me the sort of fortitude to do a show like this and not back down in the face of insurmountable at times pressure from people to do so. I want to thank Robin at Penside for banning me all those years ago and he should have banned me because going on there every day and doing nothing productive was a waste of time. And if I just stayed on that site and just kept posting over and over and over again and had like 30,000 posts, let me tell you, it's like using all of your time and all of the years of your life talking about pinball and throwing it in a dumpster. At least this show has been much more productive and had much more positive change in the pinball world than just being part of these endless dumpster fire threads on Pinside. So Robin, Thank you for recognizing my trollish behavior, and you are the reason why everybody has Canada's Pinball Podcast. I want to say thank you to all the haters out there that listen to every single episode. I think half of my listeners must come from people who just tune in to see what I'm going to say next. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. I want to thank all of the pinball manufacturers out there for what you do on a weekly basis. If it wasn't for all the companies out there, it would be extremely boring covering this hobby. You're the reason why this hobby is so exciting if it wasn't for new product. Thinking about pinball on a weekly, daily, and monthly, and annual basis would not be any fun. I also want to say thank you to the pinball companies out there for completely making mostly cookie cutter games because if you didn't make cookie cutter games, then I wouldn't be able to go on my show every week and complain about there's hardly any magic or any world under glass in these modern machines. So thank you so much for making my job so easy. No, I kid, but I do mean it. But I am somewhat happy that they continue to under deliver because then I can do a show and point out how Baby Grogu should use the force powers to do more than just throw the ball into boring lanes. And that is not creativity, Stern. I do want to say an extra special thank you to everyone who contributes to Canada's Pinball Podcast. I have thousands of listeners of this show. 125 of you right now contribute on Patreon and about another 20 or so on PayPal. 
I have merchandise coming out that you're going to love. And my contributors are going to get early access to all of the Canada merchandise. But for the rest of you out there, you're going to love the new stuff coming. Because I want you guys to be able to wear and show how proud you are to be a fan of Canada's Pinball Podcast. So look out for that. And last and certainly not least, I want to give my biggest thank you possible in all of my heart and all of my soul to my beautiful wife, Brenda. Without Brenda, I would not be doing this. I married the right woman. She stands by and watches me every single time I put on a mic or I do a Facebook Live. She's in this apartment with me. She hears every single show before you do. She's a part of this entire journey that you don't see, but it is her support. And she is the one who pushes me to keep this show going because she knows more than anyone what this show means to me. You know, we all live in a world in which we often have to ask permission to be ourselves. We all live in a world now where everyone takes everything so sensitively and you can't be yourself. You can't say how you feel. You can't raise your hand and say, that's a bunch of BS. We all just have to toe the line. And I work in a creative field in which every idea I have, I have to ask permission. Can I bring this to a client? I have to ask clients, can I execute this? This is the only creative outlet I have in my life in which I don't have to ask anyone permission. I don't have to ask anyone if I can say this. I don't have to do anything. I get to do exactly what I want to do. And that is why winning every year means so much to me. It is why your continued support means so much to me because it basically is not a vote for some cheap little trophy. It's a vote for us being able to say how we really feel. It's a vote for someone who's independent, who's not part of a group of people. There's no group think here. There's nobody handing me interview questions. There's nobody but me. And you're about to hear what I think is one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I didn't have anyone giving me questions. I didn't have notes. I didn't have anything. I just sat down and I talked to these people about pinball. And for those of you who think I'm not good for pinball, I challenge you to listen to this interview and you tell me Canada is not good for pinball. And I want to thank my special guests. You're about to hear them right now because they stand for what I believe all pinball companies should stand for. Transparency, quality, making each game better than the last. These are the things I respect. These are the things we all should respect. And I'm so happy to get them on episode 600 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And this is not the end. This is not some milestone for me. This is just another show. But this show means a lot because it is 600 of these shows. And I want to thank each and every one of you for standing by me all the years. And it's been a fun journey and it's not going to end because who's going to make fun of Legends of Valhalla when it comes out if I'm not on the airwaves? Everybody, enjoy this. And I picked this song because I think this song represents what I stand for in this community. Take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very, very special group of people joining me for episode 600 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I have the family over at Spooky Pinball. And is Kate on this as well, gentlemen? Katie is going to the gym, but the dogs will be here. All right. Well, you know me, I'm all about working out, so I'm happy she's missing this. Thank you for joining us for episode 600. And as you know, I just said this to you before I hit record that almost no manufacturer will talk to me. How does it feel? We uh, we are extremely excited. So out of the 600 episodes, uh, was 100 of them just this week alone? Or <laughs> <laughs> You put these things out, you're a machine. Like we, me and dad were ev- at most ever two a month, right? Yeah, yeah one a month. And then if there was some kind of special, you know, like when Steve Ritchie yeah. came back and, and Elvira, then we'd do two a month. But yeah, 600 is a lot, Chris. That's a lot. 
Thank you. It's actually nothing compared to the amount of games you guys are selling these days. And I want to talk about this because Spooky Pinball 2021, 1,750 games sold through in one day. What was it like selling that many games in one day? You know, it was a real whole bag of emotions because while we were selling them, we knew there was so much traffic through the website. We knew it was obviously going over very well, but we were also freaking out and panicking because the website kept going down. So it was like a mixture of super happy and, oh my God, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. And also, oh God, we got to make sure we don't screw this up and make a lot of people really angry. Yeah, poor Squirrel was on the phone constantly with uh, with uh, the web store company trying to get the limits taken off because we were tripping everything for quantity and volume and, and traffic and just everything that could go wrong there did. Like they just, everything seemed like it was fraud because it was so over the top that it, it just set off all their warnings. By the time the dust settled though, it was uh, obviously we're all extremely pumped, really excited. So we went to Lawrence's and we partied hard. I drank several beers. <laughs> did you guys think though, like you went from Rick and Morty, which was a huge theme to Halloween, and we're gonna talk about this Ultraman. I wanna know, Chuck, how you got Ultraman through the, the team and, and got it approved as being the, you know, the second title. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did you say, like, we're gonna do two themes and we're gonna sell 1750? Like, was there any convincing that had to be done? Oh, we, we were hard on him. We were hard on him, <laughs> for sure. Um, there's no doubt about that. Also, it was, I mean, it was well, it was really well received. I We were all shocked. Um, I wasn't. He wasn't shocked. <laughs> Dad um, had a blind face going into it the whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, the truth is, it, it's something that's kind of near and dear, especially to me and Bug. And we really wanted to kind of do something a little bit different and take a, a bit of a chance. Now, granted, I wasn't going to be, I, I wasn't going to bank the company on uh, something that was kind of a passion project and, you, you know, a, a bigger license behind it definitely was a safer bet but to say that i was thrilled with the way that it was embraced is are you kidding me man it was awesome and and yeah it just we're lucky that people didn't take to it the way they did it could have gone the other way and we know that and hey i, I hear you're getting one so apparently you don't think the, the license sucked i got number 500 well let me ask you guys a question because when you're thinking about doing two themes on one design like how did that come to be because no one's really done that the way you did it and it worked but how hard was it to convince people that we could have halloween and ultraman released on the same day like who came up with that decision i i think we're pretty much all on the same page about that I, for whatever reason we just thought that worked i mean so, so luke nobody told chuck what are you doing halloween and ultraman at the same time. Oh, dude, I yell at him every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> what are you thinking? It, it just kind of fell into place. When yeah. Halloween came around, and again, Halloween is a theme that is going to, the guy with the butcher knife on the back glass is going to keep it out of some homes. So we wanted a family-friendly option. These guys honestly did almost all of the game themselves. So early on, we knew it, uh, Ultraman was probably going to end up going on it, but it just made so much sense. And again, we're lucky that Ultraman is... It's a bit like doing uh, the Elvira games where, yes, it's a license, but you have some creativity and some area to, to work. So while the game worked flawlessly for Halloween, it, we also could make it work for Ultraman. And uh, I, to me, the the nicest part of that is like people look at it and if they're an Ultraman fan, they're like, clearly this is what you meant the game to be. Halloween was the other, the other one. And then if you're a Halloween fan, you look at it and you're like, clearly this was meant to be Halloween. So that's quite the compliment to these guys and what they, they accomplished on that layout. Which is weird because it was supposed to be John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. So so this was supposed to be John Wick. And what happened there? Uh, well, I was a John Wick fan to start with. Uh, Chuck watched it afterwards. And Corwin watched Matrix for the first time a while back. Right, yeah. And About he, six months ago. Yeah, he, he really liked that. So He's a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You missed the Matrix? Yeah, so I, I blame Dad for that. He was busy showing me like Godzilla movies and not Keanu Reeves classics. <laughs> like, okay, Godzilla and Super Inframan and all yeah, kinds of Yeah, I, so. I was a little bit late to the Matrix train, but I, the, I loved that first movie for sure. Wonderful movie. And then, uh, yeah, they just they got me also super hooked into John Wick. And uh, 
the reason, I mean, even though we were designing the game kind of based around John Wick, the reason it works that we could make it into Halloween and Ultraman is that we just weren't afraid to take out half of it if that's what it took to make the theme work to the game. Like, there's nobody who was so stuck on one thing being in the game no matter what that we were all able to implement what we felt was the most important things from both themes into the game regardless of what we had already placed. As a John Wick fan and as a fan of what you guys did with Ultraman and Halloween, John Wick, like what in the design was the John Wick movie? Like I know the movies, the Intercontinental Hotel, like John Wick's not popping out from a bunch of hedges. What did you guys change from the John Wick design to the design we got with Halloween and Ultraman? Basically, the two upper playfields would have been the Intercontinental Hotel for sure. Um, and then far as far as like the Michaels popping out from the hedges or, or the multiple shots and the triple drop targets and things like that, that would all be obviously him in the shooting scenes and, and bodyguards popping up or whatever. You know what I mean? Did you guys have a stipulation that your dog needs to be killed to buy one of these? <laughs> no. no, we like all the doggies. When you shoot the start button, that's the scene that plays first <laughs> no. right before gameplay. <laughs> so that you're ready to kick some ass. Let me ask you guys a question to you about this day, because obviously Rick and Morty was your greatest success in a single day with 750 sold, I think around four hours. We're talking about a thousand more games in one day. What was it like just seeing the orders come in, seeing the distributors asking for titles? 500 Ultraman, like someone must have been like, there is no way we're going to sell 500 Ultraman. And you did. I mean, we we purposefully set all the limits, what we felt was too high. Honestly, we just wanted to see where we were at. And we really didn't expect to sell out. We really didn't. We were I mean, kind of take it to shows and, and, and do some work again, which we yeah. hadn't done before Rick and Morty. We were we were ready to get out there on the road and start working again. But I guess to kind of explain where 1750 comes from. We knew, like, obviously 750 Rick and Morty's instantly gone. So we knew we could reach to about 1,000 Halloweens. Like, we felt comfortable saying 1,000 Halloweens would sell out, most likely. Let's overreach that a little bit and say 1,250. And then we also felt saying 250 to 300 Ultramans, we, we think we could sell that. Let's overreach that as well. We just wanted to overreach on both to see if it was possible. And so both of those combined, you got 1,750, and it just, it just worked, which was a, a good problem for us to run into. And now you got to make them. So what are we looking at yeah. in terms of production schedules? So do you guys feel confident you can make all of these games in 18 months? Yeah, I, I would say we feel really confident that we can get them done in 18 months for sure. We're actually going to try to err on the, the better side of that if we can. We'll try to beat that if we can. But we say 18 months is something we feel we can do pretty realistically. Under promise, over deliver. That's yeah. What, that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, I mean. Like we always have. We've brought in a lot of people and we've had a lot of people with us for a long time that we're trying to build up now, you know, and we're trying to get more people in the company built up to a higher level where they really understand what's going on in a broader <laughs> scheme and can really help, you know, understand when you're playing a pinball machine, what it should feel like, what the shots should feel like, what the flippers should feel like, just Every little adjustment, we want people in the shop now that we're starting to get some time and these people are becoming more experienced. We want them to really understand what they're looking for when they're when they're working on a game. And I think that we're getting closer to that. Up till now, obviously, even our longest running employees haven't been doing pinball things that long. So let me ask you guys about that, like pinball feel and, and making sure people understand what people want. How much have you guys heard the feedback that spooky games might shoot a little tight? There might be a little bit of a brick fest going on. There might be a pinball podcast called Canada's Pinball Podcast that harps on that. Did you <laughs> did you design this game to be more friendly from a flow and a, a design standpoint? 100%. Yeah, almost the entire original basis when we started was to make the shots so that A, some of them have a high difficulty level, but there's also a lot of them that the average person can walk up to and just hit, you know? We also knew, obviously, the things you're talking about. I mean, we see all of the feedback. We play the games. Um, it's just about improving your process and making everything better as you go. We just learn a little bit every time. 
Yeah, we want the out-of-the-box <laughs> experience to be a happy one, man. We don't want people having to make adjustments and all that kind of stuff. And and we did pay attention and learn to, you know, from everything that we've ever done. And we do watch Pinside, and we do hear what Canada says and, and what everybody else is talking about. And, you know, if it comes up several times, then obviously there's something there that we need to look at. And, and these guys are really, really good about uh, kind of owning up to it. And Luke makes a list of things we're going to improve and just starts writing down every week. You know, here's something we got to get better at. Here's a, here's a part that needs to be better. Here's the, the power supply. It needs to not make any noise whatsoever. You know, just little things like that, but it all adds up. Yeah, and I, I changed my power supply fan in my Rick and Morty, and I was like, why did they just do this to begin with? <laughs> Well, you won't have to do that again. Yeah, no, and, and I appreciate that. So let me ask you a question. Who designed these games? Like, Who's the designer? Chorus Barloff. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is that? So basically, I guess long story short, what happened is me and AJ started designing this thing in what was then my house basement a couple years ago. We were just looking to, I guess, make a game that more catered to people like us where you can hit the shots on command, some of them, um, and at least have a really good game, even if you're an average player, but still make it cool and exciting if you're a really good player and still have that depth and difficulty there if you're a good player. But yeah, it was just a long process. We started, and then Corwin was still in high school at the time, well, high school and college. Yeah, so, <laughs> he did both. So he came on later, um, started helping us out and everything, and he brought a lot of are you telling me that a high school kid's game is going to see more homes than a John Papaduke game in 2021? <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. That's a real thing. <laughs> I have no comment. Okay. Post high school, and then, just barely. Yeah, kind of last thing after the three of us, and once it was in the shop, then Chuck got a hold of it, and Chuck added some really cool stuff afterwards to the top. And I didn't screw um, it up is what he's trying to say. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't screw it up. They uh, worked on this thing for six months before I even knew about it. I mean, that's that's the kind of dedication these guys had to the project, and they just wanted to see if, if I would accept it when they brought it in, and holy crap, did I. I think it's amazing, man. I can't wait for you to play it, too. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, now, Charlie, let's talk about these themes, Halloween and Ultraman, like opposite ends of the spectrum. Which one came first when John Wick sort of you guys realized it wasn't going to happen? Was it Halloween? And then you looked at this and said, what about Ultraman? How did it work? Like, how did you guys decide what this game would be? Well, I heard a podcaster one time talking about how, you know, maybe you should just take a break and instead of buying that pinball machine, take your family to Japan. <laughs> and, and, and man, I just, you were speaking to me and, and yeah, that's exactly what we did. We had uh, at the same licensing convention that we uh, got Rick and Morty in the corner of the room, there was a small table from Subaraya Productions that they had just settled some some issues that they had with worldwide distribution, and they, they were barely there. So I went over, and I saw it, and I got excited, and I talked to them, and it kind of opened the door. And then when we went to Japan, we had set up a meeting to go to Subaraya's offices and, and discuss it with them and to see you know how much effort they were putting into. Realistically, if it hadn't been for those issues that I'm not going to go into because it'll bore you if you're... Well, I know you're a Japanese kind of monster guy or you know you, you like all things Japanese. I do. Um, it, it really gets dealt, but Ultraman should have been what Power Rangers became in the United States, but they had issues. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get here. They really were going to put a, a push behind it, and they had deals in place with Marvel and you know, and, and just big stuff coming to the United States to kind of raise awareness. And I thought, well, maybe if we get on in this in on this now, we've got an opportunity to kind of ride that wave and see if it goes anywhere. But regardless, I wanted to do it because it's something I just absolutely love. I grew up with it. Uh, you know, there's 60 years of history behind this show. Bug and I were into a whole lot of it from, from just going to G-Fest every year. Yeah, I'm just glad it worked out. And I'm kind of glad that these guys gave it a chance and accepted it. Because, you know, if they would have said, look, you can't put Ultraman on this game, I would have respected that. Right. And Halloween to us was a much bigger license. That came along a little bit later. And it was, and I know you, you didn't kind of think that Halloween was going to do what it did. But, man, if you're in the horror community and you do, like, the horror conventions and stuff like Katie and, and I and bug do it's such an iconic thing that we knew it was a no-brainer like when that became available we had to go that route 
Yeah, I, I've been wrong on the horror community my entire <laughs> career. So I've gone to Chiller <laughs> Theater. Yeah, no, and I always tell the story like when Elvira was doing signatures at TPF, I was like, who cares about Elvira? And then the line was like around the block. And I'm like, you know what? This is a huge community that I will admit I'm wrong, and there are millions of fans. And so, obviously, and Halloween, right, 1250, those sold out, like, right away. And were you guys surprised at all? Or were you just like, this is it? This is how popular it is? We knew it would do well, but like Luke said yeah. earlier, I don't think we expect. We expected to take it to shows and work a little bit. And if we had a few hundred to sell, so be it. That was great. But, yeah, once it started hitting, like, Collider and Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central and everything else, I knew that it was going to blow up. And then we started seeing the fan club membership skyrocket. And uh, going into that day, we were we knew it was probably going to go, but not the way it did. Do you guys have more than 1,750 fan club members? Um, I'd have to ask. I, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. How, I, don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. No, I'm just curious. Like, is there at least a game for every member? And I think people have been wondering that. Now, I'm a member, and I signed up. I got hopefully some of my listeners to join the, the membership. That's a genius idea. Whose idea was that? to actually give people a chance to buy the games early. Honestly, it was something that a friend of ours named Brian Savage, he ran the uh, G.I. Joe Collectors Club and the the Transformers Club for Hasbro for years and years. He had kind of talked to us about doing something like that and and help uh, my daughter uh, get that set up for us. So it it did make sense. And, and at the same time, we were running out of... We were running out of games. We had way more customers than we did games at that point. So we needed a way to kind of feel or to make everybody feel like they were still part of the spooky family because we are the small town family based company. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to push anybody away, but it became impossible to like, hey, you're a previous spooky pinball game buyer. We're going to get you a game. And we, we just couldn't do it anymore. So the fan club was kind of a way to get them early access to give everybody that really had supported us uh, a shot to still get in on game sales on opening day. Do you guys feel that struggle, the, the small boutique company that is now selling a lot of product, you know, and I know you guys want it really to hook up those people who were on the journey with you from America's Most Haunted to Rob Zombie to Alice Cooper's. Do you feel like some sort of pressure to make sure that those people that have supported you all these years also get early access to these games and you take care of them before these pinflation people that are flipping games and scalping games right away on day one? Kids? (laughs) (laughs) From from the the owner of the company standpoint, yes. And that's that's like I said, what the the fan club was really all about was to try to give everybody an equal opportunity to do that and still feel like they're part of it. But if – you know, I, I know Spooky Luke is like mentioned on Pinside and stuff that we we do reserve like some of the first batch that go to locations where we can get immediate feedback and play testers where we can get immediate beta testing and stuff like that. And yeah, some of those people that have been there since America's Most Haunted are on that list for sure. And we do everything we can to kind of take care of the people that have always taken care of us. Now, have you forgiven Ben Heck for the artwork on America's Most Haunted yet? <laughs> I will defend Ben Heck by dying day. That man did everything he could on that game to help get us off the ground. And you know what? The day that we made the art, uh, Ben was the best artist we had. <laughs> but his car now, his car is another thing. Yeah, That yeah. man needs a new vehicle. It's terrible. Who drives a 2006 Ford Station Wagon, Chris? Tell me. I don't know. Well, so he's doing the boards for these games. And so what was it like working with Ben on, on the, what's the name of it? The Pintar? Pinatar. Okay, the Pinatar. And that's actually Parker Dillman. Parker Dillman does the engineering. Ben did uh, the, the operating system code work. Okay. So you're working with Ben again on this game. And it, and it does seem like the family's back together again with this release. Let me ask you guys a question, though, because this was something that was very interesting and still to this day. People haven't seen gameplay video of these games. So was that a conscious effort not to show more gameplay footage and open up the order bank? So talk to me about that. I mean, I guess I'll I'll take that one. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of a two-part thing, like I said before. I mean, part of it is a lot of times 
when people see things like that, they can pick one thing out that maybe isn't even true. I, I see a lot of things, even on the forums. Uh, somebody makes an assessment of something. I can see where they got to that point, but it, it just doesn't exist at all, or it's not a not a problem at all. But you hate to see you know one person pick out something that doesn't exist, and then they just spiral that into a massive thing over and over. You know, and then everyone starts saying it. it's like as many people say say it then it becomes true, you know? So we always worry about that type of stuff. Like, you never want to have, like, the assessment of the game immediately go south or right. anything like that or someone for Especially, I mean, if it's deserved, that's one thing. But if it's something that isn't actually there, that really sucks to see when that, when that spirals out of control. And then also, a lot of times, it's just not up to us. On this one, even if we... Even if we would have said we're absolutely going to do it, we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been able to do that. We 100% would not have been allowed to do that. So is that like a licensing thing? You have to show the license holder the gameplay to get approval. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You got to you know a lot of people, and I had to learn a lot about this this time around because I was extremely unfamiliar. But you have to show them everything, and I mean every. You don't do anything. You don't post a social media picture without clearance. You don't do anything. Chuck. I texted you this. At this point, you guys have sold pretty much all the games. So why bother with gameplay footage? Why not let the owners of these machines experience the magic when they unbox them? Because I've always felt like pinball streams spoil everything that's in the game. So have you guys considered not showing any gameplay footage until the people unbox their games? I'm looking at you, Chuck. What do you think? <laughs> um, well, now we're not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to, but blame Canada if you don't like our yeah, decision. Never mind. No, he's into it. Blame Canada is a great excuse. Go on. No, man. I mean, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but uh, at the same, I don't know. It's kind of like the old adage of, "Do you watch, you know, the third trailer of the movie? You're just dying to see before you go see it." I stay away from that stuff. So I agree with you. I would sit on that, like if Jack Danger streaming. You know, a, a game that I just got to have and I know it, and I, but I want to enjoy it for the firsthand experience myself, then yeah, I would skip all that stuff. But for a lot of people, they don't feel that way. They want to see it. So, you know, as soon as we can stream and do all that kind of fun stuff that a lot of people do expect, then yeah, I'm sure it'll be out there. Okay. So when are we looking at the potential first stream of these games? Um, I mean, you've been talking to Jack. Yeah, I've been talking to Jack Danger. First stream, we're looking towards about the end of the month, end of July. But I'm hoping to actually get gameplay footage out to people before that. What about Kaneda playing these games for the first time and actually draining every three seconds? Is that not in the cards for you, gentlemen? Well, Ultraman 500 means you're dead last. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let, let's talk about these games being made because you just said number 500. Are you guys going to make the Halloweens alongside the Ultraman? So is one building handling Ultraman, one Halloween? What's it going to be like? Luke is absolutely our production manager. So holy <laughs> crap, do you have the right guy on your show right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, be building them, we'll be building them two to one Halloween to Ultraman. Okay. So, so they'll be right on the line with it. Most of the physical parts are the same, just the cosmetic parts change. And that's not really a hard transition for us. The menu systems will be the same. All yeah, that stuff I mean, testing the coil placements the same. So, okay. But no, they're, they're going to be fairly, fairly ordered or spread in a fair way. I would say, like I said, we're, we're going to build them at ratios according to how many are there. And that's music to my ears because as you know, I need to buy a house. Daycare is expensive. So I have some time to make my final yeah. payment on Ultraman number 500. Now, something I've been advocating people do is get the butter cabinet. Now, I, I don't know why people would not get it, but I'm not a shill for your company, don't worry. But man, it's so nice. I had the butter cabinet on Rick and Morty. Would you guys order the butter cabinet on your personal machines? And here's your chance to tell the Canada community why they should go butter. <laughs> I mean, I think that Halloween is the absolute best looking butter cabinet that we've ever made by I, far. It's, it's think, not even close. And I, I think mean, Ultraman is the second best butter cabinet. And yeah. I, that's not like a Gary Stern, you know, the game on the line is the best one we ever made. They are freaking gorgeous. They're absolutely They're stunning. But yeah, Halloween, for whatever reason, when you see that thing clear coated, it is just ridiculously pretty. You guys have the best play fields in pinball right now. And you Thank know you. me, I've been suffering the slings and arrows of Jersey Jack pinball and their Guns N' Roses playfield issues. How did you guys do it? Like, can you give us any insight into 
how the best play fields in all of pinball right now are coming out of spooky pinball. We no. can tell you, but we have to kill you. <laughs> okay. No, we can't do it, man. Can't dude, do it. Dude, that's like a that's been over ten years process of me working with a really close friend of mine and getting that ironed out to the point where you can say that and I am confident to to agree with you. Uh, it hasn't always been that way. You know, we've been honest about it when we had an issue. We did the very best we could to support everybody and to fix it, but you know, we took the time at that point to figure out, okay, why suddenly now did this just happen? They've been really good through like Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper and, and Total Nuclear, or excuse me, Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper. And then Total Nuclear, we did have a little bit of a hiccup and we stopped, we fixed it and we moved forward. And we haven't had, a, Luke, did we have a single Rick and Morty come back? Not that I know of. No, if, if they're, well, I don't think so. I, mean, I, I haven't been made, been made aware of any Rick and Morty that we've had to replace. It's been a long time, yeah. man. It's been and, a long time. And and knock on wood, no pun intended, uh, we intend to keep it that way. But it, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of proprietary stuff. So when a competitor is having an issue with a play field, do you ever feel like lending them some advice on how to fix it? Because it does sort of turn people off to the hobby in general. Do you guys ever feel that sort of obligation to maybe make a phone call to Jersey Jack and say, hey, maybe you should remove the artwork from the post area, like any of that? You know, it's kind of a, a, a mixed thing there. I have friends at Jersey Jack. I have friends at Stern. I don't want to see anybody suffer. They know how to get a hold of me, man. Who's making the play field? Is it Bader and Spooky? Who's, who's actually making these things for you guys? That's all kind of one little family. We're all, I mean, yeah, we have the capability to do all this in-house and it's the same process when we do, but uh, it's all being done uh, outsourced at a shop that's 15 minutes away right now because we're a little bit busy. We don't have time to be doing that at this moment. Now, is that always going to be the case? Probably not, but you know, that's kind of up to Luke here in the production department to decide what he wants to take on and when he wants to do it. But for right now, yeah, they're... Like I said, it's it's it, we share all the same stuff. We know each other's secrets. We do all that together, and and it's it's at Botters right now, which is fine. And we just don't have the time. It's it's just it's a lot of work. So after these games sold so well, Luke, did you ask for a raise this week? Hi. <laughs> I don't think I can even get paid hourly. I, I, I don't even know what happens to me at this point. <laughs> Charlie, I want to ask you just emotionally what it's been like, because I was there when you had America's Most Haunted and you had 70 games sold and you were going around to all the different shows. And it was, it was an arduous task to to sell 150 in a year. What has it been like emotionally sort of going from that point in the company to this point where in one day 1750 sold how has it been for you emotionally to see all the obstacles that you've overcome to get to this point this is your cue to work up the tears yeah <laughs> um these guys have seen a grown man cry more times than uh, i care to admit at this point it's been it's been good and bad over the entire stretch you know things don't always go the way you anticipate but when I think the one thing with Spooky that kind of sets us apart a bit is we are so upfront. We're honest. We will tell you what we are capable of. We don't try to overreach. We don't overpromise. We don't tell you we can do something that we don't feel we're going to, you know, we'll get, we'll get their money now and, and then we'll worry about it later. And we just, we've never done that. So when we say 1750 in a day, Luke's sitting here with AJ and bug and they're, they're ironing it out before we even sell the first game. If this happens, how do we deal with it? How do we make sure that we don't let people down? And yeah, man, I mean, I, I do get emotional. Are you kidding me? It's we've gone from, I, I never want to go over 500 games a year to these guys talking me into, we can do more, just let us do our job. And, and I kind of, you know, do everything I need to do to help them and let them handle production and just get out of the way and watch them go. And yeah, you think I'm not proud to watch that happen? Oh my God, it's crazy. And, and I want to ask you as someone who has a, a four-month-old baby, how does it feel having a company, working with your son and waking up every day and getting to do what you love? And I'd love to hear from both Chuck and Bug on this. And my daughter too. And, and your daughter. This is like the American dream. This is the dream of everybody to wake up every day and, and not work a day in your life because you're doing something you love. What has it been like for you as a family? 
He'd yep. probably enjoy it more if I quit saying, get out of my way, old man, every morning. <laughs> <laughs> he does that uh, on purpose. It's kind of funny, actually. Um, what's it like to be a father? Uh, I mean, all I hear is, you know, you're in the middle of Wisconsin, so everybody around here is agriculture and construction, and I can't get my kid to come work for me. He would want nothing to do with this. And then I go to work, and my daughter is sitting right behind me doing an incredible job handling all of our inventory and, and sales and everything else that she does and running the web store. And then bug is like literally hovering over our programmer going, here's my rules, make them better <laughs> and, and, and helping with production. And, and he's editing video and stuff now and cutting clips of Ultraman and laughing his head off. This is like, I'm getting paid to do this and you're paying me old man. And he's like cutting clips of Ultraman beating up, you know, some giant kaiju guy in a rubber suit. And it feels absolutely incredible. I know how lucky I am to have him here. And I, I never take that for granted. Bug, how is it for you that your dad is ushered in this pinball company into your world? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, obviously, I think everybody knows I love it. I mean... My senior year of high school, I started taking nighttime college courses. I, I just went up to dad. I was like, hey, if there was one thing you could send me to school for, what would it be so I can help out when I'm done? Because I don't like school. I just want to get into the family company. So sent me to go learn some AutoCAD and I got back. And ever since then, I've really just dedicated absolutely everything I have to the company. It's, it's my main focus in life every single day. And I really can't imagine a world without it. I can't imagine not working in pinball at this point it's it's literally everything to me and uh no i'm gonna get emotional instead (laughs) no it's obviously what more could i ask for i get to work inside the family business and it's something i love it's not like i'm working inside the family business but i'm plumbing (laughs) you know dude i mean the last couple months leading up to launch i i was in there a lot of days from 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning until you know 9 10 at night and i'm telling you out of the three people talking to you right now I was the slacker. These guys were just nonstop all in because, you know, it was their first game and they wanted to see it do well. Is And my job was just, again, to support, help them, get all the art set up, get everything, you know, tweaked and finalized as best I could and, and on both games, which is not easy. And uh, it's been absolutely incredible to watch. And I'm just lucky to be here helping them at this point. Yeah. And, and it's been incredible to witness, uh, you know, from, from my side of the fence of, of someone who covers the hobby. When you guys had your amazing day last week, did any other pinball manufacturers call you up to congratulate you on such a successful day? I will not name names, but several people from different organizations absolutely reached out to me. Oh, come on, I'm trying to call out the ones you didn't, Charlie. You know what I'm trying to do, <laughs> well, you know nobody, what I'm trying to do here to get my fifth twip. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question because you're working with John Carpenter who made Halloween. And you know John Carpenter made big trouble in Little China. Is there any hope for me? You know, never say never, but there's there's other John Carpenter movies I think I would rather do. All right, name them. <laughs> I'm afraid to at this point. <laughs> What's better than Big Trouble? Come on, name them. I see all the, the requests on, on Pinside. I mean, I see all of them. I'm not saying that I put them all on a spreadsheet because I do, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> but after Ultraman, aren't like all bets off for you guys? As a marketer, I would argue that there's no way Ultraman's going to work. And like, look what it did. So at this point, Charlie, are you just like, I'm just going to go with my gut? Or are you going to do some market research on what's next? Um, and trust me, I, I when you're talking like about Halloween, you know, prior to sales day, and, and I just don't think it's there. We kind of know because we are in that community that what the fan base is for certain items. But I mean, realistically, you have to know that if you're going to sell 1750 or if these guys decide they want to go a little further than that, that you have to be a, a little more appealing to a wider audience. So does that mean I can do a big trouble in Little China and expect to sell 2,000? Absolutely not. I don't think that's you know how that works. But at the same time, do we want to do games that maybe we can slide in like we did with Ultraman and kind of be true to ourselves so that we're, we're building product that we enjoy as well and hope that it finds an audience? Absolutely. I'm not opposed to taking chances that way. Any Akira in the future for this company? Because I just got to ask, because you see the power of... The Japanese culture with Ultraman and Akira is even more popular in America. So what do you what do we think here? Can we can we make this happen? (laughs) Are you going to design it? 
Uh, I've got a designer. I have got some friends in the design world, but I think that what you guys showcased was phenomenal because I think what you guys are doing is you're doing themes that nobody else would do. And I think that I've been critical of that. I've said, Charlie's only making games for Charlie and it's never going to work. And I think we all ate a lot of humble pie this past week because it did work. And I think what's worked for you guys is your love and your passion for these themes is also what attracts people to this because the 500 people that bought Ultraman, they're not all Ultraman fans. They're basically saying, I just maybe love pinball and maybe love spooky and I'm willing to discover this theme through this game. Do you guys feel some sort of pride in introducing people to new themes like Ultraman through a pinball experience? That happened a lot on Rick and Morty too. Yeah. It was amazing how many, uh, you know, guys my age that were like, why are they doing some cartoon based? I've never even heard of Rick and Morty. And and then a year later, there's a lot of people coming back going, I absolutely fell in love with the show because you introduced me to it. So, I mean, if you're into kaiju and tokusatsu and anime and all that kind of stuff, if you stumble into Ultraman because of us, I'm thrilled. Charlie, what keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of? Uh, the next Canada podcast. <laughs> that's not, no, no, that, that's <laughs> not true. Kidding. I mean, this is this is number 600. But what, what, what are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night in this hobby? Uh, Luke will tell you everything scares me. Everything. Like, I, I'm not a thick-skinned <laughs> individual, man. When, when people are upset with something we've said or done, uh, it, it cuts me deep. And I, I struggle with that. I'm getting better because these guys are kind of on my side and they're taking a lot of stress off my plate. Like, you know, I don't, I don't touch production anymore, nor should I, these guys are doing a better job than I ever did. And that does help me a lot, but you know, you're only as good as your next game. And this business is very, very ruthless. And you know, there's a lot more fish in the pond. So I'm thrilled and blessed that these guys are just killing it and making the company better. And it's not me. You know, I I don't have to be the guy that's got to design the next game in six months and I've got, you know, just rush as fast as I can and make sure it's as good as possible. These guys jump ahead of me and get a great game done. And then, you know, Katie and I get through sales day and I can actually get a little time off for the first time in, you know, eight and a half to 10 years. That's great. Did you guys take a little vacation between sales day and production? (laughs) it's been worse (laughs) (laughs) come on you guys got a few million bucks through these pre-orders like not a single week off you know i will say that about two days after sales we said you know i think we can relax today like i think it's gonna be okay and we went for just a short little boat ride on the river and we got back and we found like 12 things we needed to do seven hours ago (laughs) (laughs) and we're all scrambling to get it done that night i went in the next day and these guys were gutting the shop like a fish just making more room for more production and stuff and and i had a lot of junk in the we affectionately call it the graveyard my old personal pinball parts you know boxes of old bally boards and things and i'm like don't throw my stuff out (laughs) Let me ask you guys about like the fact that you released this game in July, not at a show. You sold out basically in one day. Do you need to go to shows to sell these games? What what do you guys think about that? There's been discussion on whether or not revealing games at shows hurt sales or helps sales. But um, the last two times we've released games online not at a show and it's gone quite well for us but uh we still plan on going to lots of shows as many as i can drag these things to will these games be at allentown or boston or expo where where's the first show we can play some of these new games we can't really speak to specific ones yet but we'll be hitting as many as we possibly can i love it can't wait to get the shows and then you can't give me a specific one i love the specificity (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be at every show which one i can't tell you it's, it's it's tough because you don't want to disappoint you don't want to say we're gonna for sure be at this one yeah. but then something comes up there's so many so many different variables and everything like that like you know I'll, we might need the game for this show or someone had this set up but then they didn't it's just you just try to get to as many as you can and a lot of times the shows do like to announce who's going to be there so we like to leave that to them as well So Expo, though, is in October in Chicago. This seems to be the one that, like, is the comeback show. Will you you guys be at Expo? It's Halloween weekend, so I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I got, uh, that's that's my favorite week of the entire year. So, and, and the problem with Expo this year is Midwest Gaming Classic is one week behind it. And that's kind of our home state show. 
So it's really, really tough still. I mean, we're a growing company. Yeah, I get that. But it's really tough for us to hit like a show two weekends in a row. If we're doing that, it's not like we have just a team that goes and, you know, (laughs) handles the shows. It's us. So if we're at shows from Wednesday to Sunday and then turn around and go back on Friday to Sunday, we're not getting work done. That makes sense. So let me talk to you guys about transparency because one of the things that your company does that many companies don't do, and I'm talking about Stern and Jersey Jack and Chicago Gaming Company, is you're on the forums and you're talking to the fans. How did you come to that decision that we're going to be transparent and we're going to talk to people in real time? I mean, I was watching Luke on Pinside like, hey, maybe there's two games off of this design. And I'm like, what? They're they're in it. You guys are in it. Charlie, how do you sort of approach that? Like, what's your thoughts on just being as transparent as we can within the community? You know, we still love it as much as everybody else does. And obviously, you, you can't make this for a living or make this product for a living without really, really caring and yeah, I know that sometimes the chatter in there can can go a bit to the dark side, so to speak, but there's a lot of good people in there too. And, and even on the negative stuff, you're learning something, you know, and if there's something we can gain from it, then we would be kind of foolish not to listen. Hey, look, this is a problem with some people. We need to make it a better. We need to make an improvement. But 90% of that at this point is Luke. He just has a really good kind of ear for it. He knows you know, what people want to hear. He knows how to kind of calm the waters if there uh, is a problem that really isn't. Uh, and he's just done an excellent job at being that that earpiece for Spooky Pinball and going in there and talking to people. And I think, and again, you know, I, I don't think it's a happy accident that 1,750 games sold and I'm, we're getting emails left and right about, you know, how people want to support us because, of who we are and what we are. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of Luke being in there. I go in once in a while, uh, you know, bug dips in every now and then, but the vast majority of it is Luke. Well, Luke, again, when are you going to ask for that raise? Is it happening or (laughs) is it just? (laughs) Chris, he's dating my daughter and I haven't shot him. So consider that a bonus. Well, that's, that's one way into the, to the dynasty. Um, I think it's important. There's some companies that just want to avoid the criticism and the critique. And I think you guys sort of run at it face on. And you guys have taken a lot of criticism and advice and support all at the same time. And I've always said, if there's any company that continues to get better and better and better with each game and listen to the customers, the future of Spooky Pinball. If you guys were to sort of articulate the future of Spooky, how many games do you think it's like, this is it? Like, we don't want to make any more than this. And we want to continue to be a company that makes themes that other companies miss. Like, what's your what's your goal or your vision for Spooky moving from here? You know, I think the most important thing is we're going to do as many games as we can do a good job building. I mean, there's still most of the, I would say I know most of the customers at this point. I recognize their pin side handle or their name still. I remember a lot of the customers from build to build to build at this point. Um, I think we all do. I mean, if you ask Morgan, nine out of 10 times, if I say, hey, this customer, you know, emailed in, they need a replacement part. She knows them by name and she doesn't, she just goes and looks up their address. She doesn't even need to ask me who that is or what game they have. You know, so that's a cool part of it. I mean, if we started to lose that or, or if the builds weren't at the quality that we wanted to see them at, or if we felt like it was making the company suffer, we would definitely pull back a little bit, but we're just going to do the numbers that we can do a really good job of and stick with that. My job at this point, like I said, is just to kind of take care of these guys and help them out and, you know, go after the licenses that uh, we think are going to do exactly what we need to do. And like I said, we'll still try to be true to ourselves here and there and, and dip our toes into maybe a big trouble in little China or something like Please. that, that, that uh, <laughs> you know, makes a group of us happy. <laughs> Charlie, I will wire you $20,000 tonight oh! for the SLE of big trouble in little China. It's just such a perfect theme for pinball. Like you got Lopan, you got Jack Burden, you, the whole storyline of battling the different deities. It's perfect. Anyway, is it true that deep root pinball tried to buy you guys at one point? Hmm. That's on you, Chuck. Yeah, I'm not really going to talk about that. I, I think Robert has indicated that he tried to work with us at one point publicly. I will not deny that. Uh, I chose not to. 
No, it was a good decision, right? 122 Razas versus 500 Ultramans in a few hours. So look, this, this has been a, a great week for you guys. And so now you've got 18 months to build these games. Who's designing the next game? Let me ask that. <laughs> it might already be in the works. <laughs> yeah, it could be half done. Oh, okay. And like, is the theme already selected? <laughs> You're really good at these. <laughs> is it is it hard being a designer knowing you have to wait 18 months to get to the next round of production? No, I think these guys have done a good job on, you know, and again, they started uh, what became Halloween Ultraman, what did you say, two years ago? It, it, yeah. That yeah. started in your basement? So they were already well into the next game by the time we launched this one. It's definitely part of the process that we needed to kind of get a little bit of a, a head start on. Back when Spooky was first getting started, it, it was kind of me, and then it was Ben, and then it was like Scott Denisi, but it was always, time was always short. And we know that that isn't ideal situations, you know. The reason TNA came out so well is Scott had all the time in the world to develop that on his own before we picked it up. And it, it, it extremely good game. And I, I love Total Nuclear Annihilation. But like on my stuff, uh, you know, I've taken a little flack for what Rob Zombie was. I still enjoy it. The dogs are flying through here at 100 miles an hour. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like on Alice Cooper and stuff, I think the game came out very well. But had I had more time, could it have been better? Absolutely. So it's something that we know going forward we need to do better as well and just stay ahead of it so that we have time to iron things out. And if there is a tough shot, you have time to shift ball guides around and, and add a target here and there where a post once was and that kind of stuff. So you know, stuff that people like. Yeah. Now I've heard rumors of a TNA 2.0 that will be in the new cabinet. Is that happening? Will that happen over the next 18 months? Or is that something that might happen after this run of games? Uh, it definitely won't be in the new cabinet, will it? New it's the same cabinet. It, it'll be in a TNA cabinet, yes. Yeah, no, it'll be the same cabinet. There, there might be some subtle differences, but... I, I mean, yeah. you'll have the new display panel and stuff like that. Oh, that's an exclusive. Oh, well, there we go. Fifth trip <laughs> in the house. Thank you for that. It is uh, like, I got him. Yeah, finally. <laughs> so how much did it hurt for Stern to grab Godzilla, knowing how much you love it? You know, I'm over it. it. Are you? Here's here's the real thing. Are you? <laughs> no, he's not. He's yeah. not. <laughs> I'd like to have had that license, obviously, that I would never shy away from that. But the fact that Ultraman came out so freaking great is good. I mean, I, I love that. Now, if Keith Elwin, and, and I just hearing the rumors that I hear on Canada's Pinball Podcast... If he's doing Godzilla and it's absolutely beautiful, I'm telling you right now, it'll sit right next to Ultraman. And the fact that a truly great Toho Godzilla pinball machine exists is going to make me extremely happy. No, that's, that's, it's great to hear. And I wanted to ask each of you, if you had to buy a game from another manufacturer over the last few years, which game would each of you buy and why? I have an Elvira and a Guns N' Roses. <laughs> okay. And a Monster Bash. And a Monster Bash. For each of you out there, what, what games have you been excited by? What game have I been excited about? Um, Yours. I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real honest. I'd love to get a Primus. <laughs> just really? I, yeah, I just I love the band, and uh, Will Nelly has a special place in my heart because I have fun memories of Dad being around Greg and Dennis when uh, I was a lot younger in that one, and uh, I just think I mean Will Nelly's fun, but throwing Primus on it's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, and I was back in the day sitting in Greg's or Dennis's garage with Greg and Dennis and everybody helping finalize all those. So to see that kind of come full circle, that was neat. I'd take a medieval badness. Yeah, Luke, Luke plays my medieval constantly. My, my biggest regret is I had a medieval madness royal edition Ooh. for, for $10,000, right? That was, the, that was what it cost. And I let it go. I was like, you know what? Let someone else have it. And now they're selling for like $19,000, like new in box this year. So have you guys have seen like obviously the pinflation happening? Like what are your thoughts on just the astronomical explosion of pricing in this hobby? Does it make you think like we're leaving money on the table? It makes me think people have too much money. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean like when I see what's going on with pirates and stuff, I mean that's it, – it's great – for building confidence in buyers of new and box games. And, you know, Rick and Morty has been through some of that. And, and uh, it, as a manufacturer, it doesn't hurt us at all. I mean, it, it definitely helps to, 
kind of boost that buyer confidence. But as a pinball fan, and, you know, obviously I have multiple manufacturers in my basement, I have my limits. And, you know, there's no game that's worth over X dollars for me personally. But, you know, if you've got that kind of money, more power to you, man. I'm never going to begrudge somebody for getting something they want. Well, look, gentlemen, this has been episode 600, which is crazy of Canada's Pinball Podcast that I made it this far, that they couldn't convince my employer to shut the show down. And I want to say I truly appreciate you guys taking the time. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart because most of these pinball manufacturers, they won't even talk to me. And I've truly and personally admired your ascension in the pinball world. Spooky Pinball is no longer just a little boutique company. You guys are now in the upper echelon of pinball. So thank you so much. I, th I think Canada is actually gushing over us. <laughs> I'm still going to spoil your releases and leak stuff. That. Don't get don't don't get me wrong. I'm still hunting for. You know that you'll always be there to leak our stuff 24 hours before we do. Yeah, I try. <laughs> it's been harder and harder to get information. Everyone is is very closed-lipped these days. Any final words for the listeners of Canada's Pinball Podcast that you would like to to give them? Go down the line, Bug. Start with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to see the games, like I said, we're going to try and get to as many shows as we can bring them to. Uh, I don't want to give exactly dates and places yet because it's just not my place to do it. Lots of people asking but, uh, all in the works. Uh, but for real, come play the game for yourself. Uh, catch us at the shows that we hopefully soon can announce that we're going to. Bug, when's gameplay? When can we see gameplay video? Everyone's going to be like, just ask him that. Soon. Very soon. <laughs> it's, it's my number one priority right now at work each day. Two weeks, a week. Three weeks. It could be either one of those things. Yes. <laughs> Three if you keep asking. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, bugs getting saucy. No, no, it really is. Uh, I, I want to get that out as soon as I possibly can. It's just a little bit more than I just got to hook up the camera and record. <laughs> Luke, what do you say, brother? Um, I just hope everybody really likes the game. We're gonna do the the best job we can on the build, and we'll just make adjustments throughout and do the best job we can. So. So, Luke, and we're going to talk about Akira, Luke. I'm, I'm not stopping on my lifelong <laughs> journey to get this theme. Who else we got on the horn right now? Me. Chuck, what do you think? Um, please stop leaking our stuff. Uh, <laughs> what else do I have to say? Um, <laughs> you know, Chris, and I think, honestly, I have talked to you at, like, Texas and stuff and sat there, and, and uh, I, I understand that Chris and Canada are, are a thing. You know, I understand why some manufacturers get frustrated, and I, I have at times been one of those guys, but you are a very big part of the pinball community. We all know this, and you're not always wrong, and uh, we know that too, and, and you know, sometimes that hurts a little bit, but at uh, other times, you're, you know, like you've been with us here as of late. When you see goodness, you talk goodness. And, uh, you know, I hope that it's nothing but goodness coming from Spooky Pinball so we can, you know, keep everybody happy, not just Canada. We want everybody to be happy. We want everybody to have that brand new game, out of the box, wonderful feeling that uh, you're supposed to get from pinball. And that's not an easy task. And thank God I got these young guys sitting next to me that are up to the challenge. So, you know, we listen. We do listen. And when it is negative, we learn from it. We don't hide from it. We're going to do what we can to make everything better so that, uh, you know, it's it, it should be all about peace, love, and pinball. I say that all the time, but I mean it, you know. There's no reason for us for for anything else. That's Life's too short. Get out there, play games with your friends, and have a good time. That's what pinball's all about. Absolutely. Do you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? What he was trying to say is there are going to be no washer kits sent to you from Spooky Pinball because the play <laughs> fields are perfect. Charlie and company, I thank you so much for coming on and being a part of this special episode 600. And I'm super excited to get my Ultraman pinball machine number 500 one day. Thank you so much for joining the show and for being Spooky Pinball. The goodwill you've built with the community is speaking volumes and it's the best marketing you can do. I always say this, like your transparency and your product have been the best thing you can possibly do to win people over and you've done it. So thank you for being a part of this community. And as someone who covers it, it's nice to have a company as transparent as you a part of this community. So thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Thank you very much. All right. So what should we do now? Should we just end it? Yeah. Let's just call Ben Heck right now because Ben's always nervous that he says too much. 
He's a he's a wild card. <laughs> ER too. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I love Ben. Ben has Ben says three hundred things per minute, and you know some of those are gold. They really are. I love Ben's mom. Editing a Ben Heck episode takes me like eight hours to edit forty minutes of Ben Heck because he literally doesn't put a full sentence together ever. I gotta I gotta I gotta string it together, but it's gonna be fun. You ought to try designing a game with him sometime and watch him go from Hey, do you think we should put this VUK over did you see the new John Wick movie? It's just <laughs> off the rails, dude, but it's not realistic. I don't know. What about the chicken sandwich at Big Mac? Have you That thing's so overrated. It's <laughs> No, he's got Mountain Dew in his blood. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much and, and have a great evening. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk soon before, like, I don't know, episode 700 or something. But always a good time. All right, man. Thank yep. you. We appreciate it. I'll be on.